How many of you saw somebody in this room wearing some colors or jersey that kind of made you go, huh, I thought they loved Jesus? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah? Uh, my favorite, Sharon, do you mind standing up for me? I love this woman. I don't like, what, I don't like the colors that she's wearing, but she's all out. You even had like the pom-poms, right? Like hold those up too. Like, I mean, she, she came, like I love Sharon. She is awesome. She's, she's ready for pictures afterwards. So if you want to, you know, light them up. Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> oh, so, so this is so appropriate because last week we started, it's just a mini series last week and today we're talking about how to have a good fight. And uh, we, all, we all know how to have a fight. But as followers of Jesus, what we're interested in is, how do we have a good fight? How do we have conflict that at the end of the conflict, uh, you know, we can, we can still love each other. We can still look each other in the eyes. We can still have relationship with each other. Because here's the problem. Anytime human beings are put in groups, whether it's in families, whether it's in workplaces, whether it's in schools, re- regardless of where it is, whenever you put more than one human being in a place, in a context with, other, with another human being, there will be conflict, right? A- anybody in this room married? Okay, if you're married, how, how many of you have had conflict? Yeah, I love the wise men in this room. They're like, I'm not moving a muscle right now. Like, it's a trap. I know for sure this is a trick question, right? Like, like we, that's part of the human race, right? Like, we, we have conflict. Some of you have already had conflict today. Like, just coming to church, like, there's been conflict. And are you really going to wear that pilgrim costume? Like, seriously? Like, there's, there's been conflict, right? Like, <laughs> I love it. So, so, so what we're interested in as followers of Jesus is how should we handle conflict? And, and there's so many passages of scripture that we could go to, but for the sake of last week and this week, we've, we're landing in Acts chapter 15, and I want to encourage you to turn to Acts 15 for yourself so that you can see that this is actually in scripture. To bring you up to speed and to give you the context of what's going on in Acts chapter 15, Jesus, you know, had died risen on the third day, ascended to the Father, and now the book of Acts is really, it's kind of, uh, I like to call it the book of actions. It's the actions of the early church. It's the actions of how the Holy Spirit moved through this group of people who were uneducated, this group of people who didn't have it together, but who were simply trying their best to follow Jesus. And we see really the book of Acts covers the first 30, 35 years of the church. And so what we're going to look at is a particular church called the Church of Antioch. A lot of people haven't heard of that church. It doesn't get a lot of coverage in the Bible. But the church in Antioch was thumping, man. It was alive. They were starting other churches. Revival was going on. And in Acts chapter 15, we learn in verse 1 that some people came into the church and tried to start teaching something that was different than what Paul and Barnabas had been teaching. They were teaching this group of people who came into the church, started saying, you know what? It's great that, that you believe that salvation is through Jesus, but there's some other steps, there's some other hoops that you need to jump through as well. Like, if you're, if you're not a Jew, you're going to have to become a Jew, which means if you're a man and you're not a Jew, we're going to have to have a little surgical procedure for you afterward in a place that's going to be a little awkward. And so, uh, if you don't know that story, it's in the Bible, seriously, like that was the deal, right? And so, so there was a disagreement 
that, that, that started in the church of what do we do with this? Who's right? Who's wrong? The, both sides seem to have biblical evidence. For them, their Bible was the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. And so they're pointing to scriptures in the Old Testament, and, and it really was. Like for us, this isn't a confusing issue, but for them, it was incredibly confusing. And so last week we talked about that when you have conflict, that one of the first things you need to do is pause, zoom out, and ask the question, what are we fighting about? And remember, if you were here with us last week, we talked about that there's three kind of categories of issues that we often are fighting about. The first category are essentials. And in, in the church, we talked about the essentials are Jesus came to this earth, the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross to take our sins, to take our punishment. That Jesus, on the third day, was risen from the dead, bodily risen from the dead. That, that Jesus ascended to the Father where he is alive to this day. That Jesus is coming back. These are all essentials, right? And so, and, and whether it's a marriage fight, whether it's a fight with your kids, you have to ask the question, like, is, are we fighting about something that is essential the second category was opinions. No, traditions. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The second category is traditions. And because of, you know, we're, we're, you know, the family of origin that we've had, educational experiences we've had, all these different things, we come into relationship with each other, whether it's marriage or whether it's a work relationship, we come together with, with different traditions, different ways that we think we should do life. And so that's a source of conflict. But, but it's not the same as an essential, Right? And then the third category was opinions, and I'm taking way too t long to, to do this uh, review. You can go online and, and watch a sermon and, and maybe help unpack that. So the first question is, what are we fighting about? Last week we asked a second question is, who is involved in this fight? And way too often we involve the uninvolved, and it creates even more of a mess, right? And so for Paul and Barnabas, they had to decide, is this worth fighting about? And in verse 1 and verse 2, actually verses 1 through 3 of Acts chapter 15, you find out that Paul and Barnabas go, heck yeah, this is something we need to be fighting about. This is something, we're going to argue vehemently about this issue. Well, then the question becomes, well, who, who should be part of this conflict? And they, they decided they weren't getting any headway. They weren't making any progress in the conflict. Let's go to some people who have been around Jesus longer than we have. And for them, that meant going to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is where Peter was living. This is where James was living. And so what they wanted to do was get to some of the disciples who had been around Jesus, and they realized, we, we haven't been around Jesus as long as those guys have. Let's go to Jerusalem, and maybe they can help us with this conflict, right? And so last week we talked about that. We talked about gossip. We talked about a number of other issues. Well, we're going to pick up now in the story where they have just gotten to Jerusalem, and we're going to look real quickly at about seven different handles or truths that can help us when it comes to conflict. And we're going to do this rapid fire because some of you all are like, man, if he takes as long as he did on this introduction for each of these points, we are going to be here forever. Okay, so here's the first thing. If you want to know how they handled conflict, here's the first one. By the way, there's notes on our church center app if you want to follow along in the notes or you can go to our website on your smartphone and, and there's notes on the website as well. Number one, emphasize the positive emphasize the positive. Acts chapter 15 verse 4 says, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders, and listen, they reported everything God had done through them. See, when we, when, I'm going to pause here, we're going to keep going to scripture in just a moment. When we're upset about something, we have a tendency to forget everything that God is doing. And our issue becomes so huge, and so it's all we think about. It comes up in every conversation. 
Instead, start your conflict resolution conversation by emphasizing the positive. When Carrie and I were just months after marriage, we moved to Pittsburgh three weeks after getting married, and, and I took a job there, and I'll never forget, a couple months into being in Pittsburgh, there was a guy named Mike Anishenko who took me aside one day, and he was just talking about our marriage and how, are, you know, we've only been married a couple months, like how are things going, and he goes, let me give you a bit of advice, and I thought about this so much. He goes, there are going to be times in your marriage where Carrie's going to do something, and he said, and it is just going to gnaw at you. Like, it's just going to be, like, it's going to be hard for you to let go of that. He goes, first of all, realize that's true in every marriage. And that's helpful to know, because sometimes you think, are we the only ones, right? And then he, he said this. He said, in that moment, I want to encourage you to rehearse in your mind all the reasons why you love Carrie and why you were drawn to her in the first place and, and her virtues and the characters that you, characteristics that you like about her. I'm telling you what, that has helped me so much through the years. And that's true not just in marriage, but in so many other relationships. What if we, and this is so hard in our culture, because positive doesn't sell anything in our culture. Positive doesn't get clicks on social media. Positive doesn't get views on whatever news outlet you watch. What, what gets to clicks? What gets to views? Negative every single time. And so we are conditioned. If I asked you what is something good that has happened in your life in the last week, most of you would be like, oh, give me a couple minutes to think about it. But if I asked you what is something negative that happened in the last week, you're like, oh, I can tell you all kinds of things, right? Because our brains have been conditioned that we, we are so good at thinking about the negative. And so when it comes to conflict, man, force yourself to emphasize the positive. And in almost every conflict, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about big major things that, that require you going to law enforcement about. I'm talking about just interpersonal relationship conflict. Search for the positive. Think about the positive. Number two. Work through the issue together. Work through the issue together. We're going to keep going in Acts 15, beginning with verse 5. It says, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Verse 6, this is key. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. And what I love about this is both parties are there. They aren't trying to get people on their side. They aren't sending angry emails in the middle of the night. Oh, yes, you don't get those. Okay, I get them. <laughs> Instead, they're working through the issue together. This one step would solve so many conflicts. But what we do is we have these fights where we're lobbing arguments through third parties. Or we're lobbing arguments through, through emails or through text messages or through Facebook posts. And here's what I would encourage you. Like mature people, when they're going through conflicts, decide we're going to meet face to face. We're going to sit down in the same space and we're going to talk through this. And can I tell you, so many times you will realize resolution a whole lot quicker than when you're in your corner and they're in their corner and we're trying to do conflict in that way. Does that make sense? Number three, stick to the facts. Can I just say that again? Stick to the facts. Let's keep reading verse seven. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, and I would add sisters, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. 
God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. It just dawned on me, by the way. Some of you are sitting here and you're going, "What? you keep using the word Gentiles. What are Gentiles? Gentiles are non-Jews. So to the Jews, to the Jews there, was the, there was Jewish people and then there was everybody else. And the everybody else was Gentiles. I just thought, maybe for some of you, this whole sermon, you'd be like, what in the world is he talking about? There, there you go, okay? So he, Peter says he accepts, God accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Verse 9, he, God, made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Okay, here's the thing. The old Peter had a reputation of being just a bit of a hothead. Okay, if you've read the Bible, you've read specifically the Gospels, you know that's kind of Peter's reputation. But when it came his time to speak about a subject that he was very passionate about, Peter didn't launch into an angry tirade. Instead, he simply relayed the facts. I know that you have a lot of strong feelings and opinions about a lot of things. And so do I. And you think you know the right thing in a conflict or in a fight. You know, you know what is right. You know the right pathway forward. And, and I feel the same way when I'm in a conflict, when I'm in a fight. But when you're in that conflict, can you decide to just stick to the facts of what you actually know? What you actually know, not what I heard, but what I actually know for certain? Okay. Number four, this is a halfway point, okay? Number four, this is, this is a hump. Pause and think about God's grace. Pause and think about God's grace. Look at verse 10, it says, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Verse 11, we're gonna come back to this in a few moments, but he says this, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Here's what I love about Paul and Barnabas. Here they are in this theological debate, they're in this fight, and they start talking about these Gentiles who are being saved and delivered and healed and filled with the Holy Spirit and set free. And what you see is that Paul and Barnabas, they can't stick to the argument. They can't focus on the argument. They're really no fun to fight with. Because they keep wanting to go back to what God is doing and how God is moving. They're so excited and overwhelmed that lives are being changed. And so if you want to put a disagreement in the right context, pause and just think about God's grace. God's grace to who? To yourself. Right? Okay. Maybe you didn't know this, but everybody in this room, everybody in this room is screwed up broken, sinful, helpless, powerless, broken. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the standard of God. And, the, and I looked up the word all in Greek because I was really curious about what it would mean. All means all. It means everybody. All of us deserve the wrath of God. All of us deserve an eternal judgment, an eternal separation from God in hell. Everybody in this room You say, well, Ken, you don't know what a good person I am. God does. And yeah, maybe you've never murdered somebody. Maybe you've never committed adultery. Maybe you've never done like one of the big deals, but you've thought about it in your heart. 
You've been greedy in your heart. You've been selfish in your heart. You've lacked generosity in your heart. And so you've rebelled against God in that way. Now, now here's, here's the good news. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not face the wrath of God, the punishment of God. But instead, we will experience eternal life, everlasting life. This is a grace of God. And so here's what I'm just saying. In the middle of an, a disagreement, in the middle of conflict, I know this is hard. I know this isn't easy. Okay, it sounds simple, but it's anything but easy. It, what if you could just pause for a moment and just think about how has God demonstrated grace to me? How might God in this conflict, in this fight, be wanting me to demonstrate grace in this moment? It doesn't mean you become a pushover. It doesn't mean that you become a doormat that everybody walks over. But there are moments in a fight or in a conflict where you can make the decision, you know what, I'm going to show some grace here. I'm so, I'm so grateful for the grace of God. Number five, use scripture as the guide. When you're having a fight, when you're having a disagreement, a conflict, use scripture as the guide, especially if it's a disagreement amongst followers of Jesus, okay? Maybe this doesn't work in every environment, but look at what happens in verse 13. When they had finished, James stood. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, which, by the way, if you don't believe that God exists, this is such a great defense for, for the, the Bible, for the Word of God, and for the idea of Jesus being the Son of God. Think about what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the Son of God? James is such a great example of why we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. By the way, he didn't believe until the resurrection. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. This isn't James that was one of Jesus' disciples. It was after, after the resurrection that James came to faith in Christ. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Okay, that's a whole, whole other sermon. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take them Uh, take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, so we have something unique going on here now. James now says, you know what? Let me quote to you an ancient Old Testament prophecy. He's going back to the ancient prophet Amos. And he's gonna start quoting from him. He says, here's the quote, verse 16. Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. Here's the principle. James stands up and James says, how about we take a look at scripture and see what God's word has to say about this issue? See, you can't just argue what you think. You can't just argue your opinion. Our final authority is the word of God. People, people occasionally will try to trap me in a theological argument. And so they'll want to argue something about scripture or something about a biblical issue. And, and they'll start out their conversation by saying, well, I believe. And so many times I just want to stop them and say, I don't care what you believe. And honestly, it doesn't even matter what I believe. What does the Bible have to say about this issue? And I might not like what the Bible has to say about the issue. I might have to really wrestle with it. But ultimately, my final authority isn't your opinion, and it's not my opinion. And increasingly, we live in a culture where everybody's got an opinion, and they differ, and they diverge. 
What does the word of God have to say? If the Bible addresses it, then my opinion isn't relevant. And if the Bible is silent about it, then it's probably a matter of tradition or opinion, and I really don't need to fight you about it. I can listen to your opinion. I can, I can, I'd, in fact, I'd love to hear your opinion. But if the Bible doesn't talk about it, we don't need to fight about it. We don't need to name call. We don't need to, you know, get to a place where we can't be in the same room together, right? Are you guys all with me? I know, I know this is, usually we don't, this is very rare the way of, oh, seven points all in one sermon. Usually this would be like a seven-week series or something. <laughs> no, please, God, no. Number six, sacrifice your preferences. Number six, sacrifice your preferences. Verse 19, and so, this is James speaking, James says, and so my judgment, and at this point, James is actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, very interesting. We could go into the history of this. James says, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What? I think this is one of the most incredible statements of the early church. Let's not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult for middle school and high school students who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult for single moms who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult for someone who is fresh out of a divorce to come to God, right? Let's not impose our traditions or our opinions or our prejudice on people who are turning to Christ. And let's realize, for some of you in this room, you've been following Jesus for 30, 35 years. What kind of Christian were you when you first started following Jesus? Did you have it all figured out? Did you have it all together? Were you living the perfect life? No, you, you were just trying your best to follow him. With all of your hang-ups and with all of your habits and with all of your hurts and with all of your past, you were just trying your best to follow Jesus. Can we give the same grace to others who are beginning to follow Jesus and are starting their relationship with Jesus? Listen, I know, I know you like things a certain way. I do too. But sometimes I have to be willing to sacrifice my preferences. Because, because this is what relationship is all about, isn't it? Ma- marriage, marriage isn't about, oh good, I'm going to get married. Now I've got this woman who is going to serve my every need. Whew, no, 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 no. Right? Like mar- what, what it, love, love in our culture, love has become this thing that is all about me. Or for you, it's all about you. But that's, that's a misunderstanding of what love is. Love is, this person means so much that I'm willing to sacrifice myself for this other person. I mean, that's, that's what true love is, right? And so what that means is, listen, I got to be able to sacrifice my preferences. In church world, listen, there's a lot of things that happen in Journey Church I don't even like, and I'm the supposed lead pastor of this church. Okay, I, there's, let, uh, let me just go down a rabbit trail for a second. For many of you in this room who have been following Jesus for a long time, like there are certain worship songs from the time when you, when you, were, when you were experiencing spiritual formation, those worship songs in that period, in that season of your life, will be songs that you will treasure for the rest of your life. And so it's hard when you come to church and we don't do those songs. Listen, it's hard for me. 
I love, some of the songs that were integral for me during my spiritual formation were songs like, I sing praises to your name, oh Lord. Or songs like, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart. Like, I mean, just these beautiful, great songs. And you know what? I, don't, I wish we would do those songs every Sunday. I should tell the worship leader. You know? But listen. Listen. It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. And I've got Spotify, so when I have my prayer time during the week, I can listen to the songs I want to listen to because it's my prayer time. And nobody else is around, right? And I'd love that we have technology where I can enjoy those songs still. It's not even just about music. It's about a a hundred different things when it comes to whenever we have gatherings of people together, whether it's church, school, work. I have preferences. I have a way that I want things to be done. But part of interacting with other humans and part of being in relationship with other humans is I have to be willing to sacrifice my preferences, and listen, middle school students, high school students, the sooner that you realize this, it is, it is a childish thing to only want your preferences. When you grow up, part of being a man, part of being a woman is saying it's not about me. And if you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old and you're still walking around thinking that life should be all about you, you are a boy, you are a girl stuck in an old person's body. You can email me later and disagree. I get I'll get them. <laughs> Number seven, move on. Number seven, move on. Skip to verse 30. The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered a letter. This is where the fight started, right? Way back in verse 1, the fight started in Antioch. They decided, we're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to see what the people who have been around Jesus longer than us have to say about it. James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, said, this is the verdict. We're not going to make it difficult on them. It's, it's all about Jesus. It's not about Jesus and circumcision. It's not about Jesus and becoming a Jew. No, it's about have you received the grace of Jesus Christ for yourself? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Are you now faithfully trying to obey him and follow him in his teachings? Then you're good. We're not going to give an undue burden. We're not going to lay more burdens on you. It's all about Jesus. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's all about Jesus. So that was the verdict that James gave, right? We read that a few verses ago. Now, verse 30, the messengers now go back to Antioch, where this fight, this conflict started, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. It was a letter that James had dictated to them. Verse 31, and there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. The the fight was over. They had gotten the verdict from the spiritual authorities, and now there was joy. Look at this, verse 32. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. And they stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. And Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. Do you, do you see what happened? They settled the argument. It was handled. And what did they do? They got right back on mission of trying to find people who don't know Jesus and communicating the good news of Jesus Christ, reaching people for Christ, preaching the word of the Lord. What's the result of a good fight? It's over, it's forgotten, and it's forgiven. 
You don't hold on to the issue anymore. Some of you are holding on to an offense from two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 35 years ago. And I understand that somewhere, somewhere, somewhere along the way, someone did something that you didn't like. They said something to you, or they didn't say something to you. I have people all the time who say, well, Ken, you've greeted other people before church started, but you didn't greet me. And you've done that two weeks in a row, and I know you don't like me. And so I'm going to another church. It's not even something I said. It's something because I'm not able to get around to everybody that I want to get around to before service starts. Or because you came late. And it's your own fault. And you're hurt, and you're offended, and all I can say is, listen, in that moment of being hurt, in that moment of being offended, can can you experience the grace of God? What I'd like to say is some of you all just need to go to Lowe's and buy a ladder and get over it. But I won't say that. In church world, here's, here's, here's the conflict. Some of you have let an offense and you've let a hurt keep you from the joy of being involved in ministry. See, ministry, ministry, is where, ministry is where I flourish. Ministry is where I have fruitfulness and fulfillment. And so when you say, well, I'm not going to be involved. They hurt me. I, I, I'm offended. I don't like how they do that. So I'm not going to get involved. You're robbing yourself. And you never know what God wants to do in and through you and the effect that you could have. You've let that issue rob your joy. You've kept that issue alive in your heart and your spirit, and you've replayed it in your mind way too many times, and you've told other people about it. And can I just encourage you, today could be the day that you finally decide, you know what, this isn't even an essential issue. And God is greater, and he's shown me grace, and I can show others grace. Now, by the way, this sermon isn't, I, I love it when I can preach this and it's not for someone in the room, okay? I didn't write this with, oh, man, wait until Joel Petrie hears this. <laughs> right? I can honestly, before God, say, to my knowledge, this isn't, this isn't for anybody. Uh, th- we're in a place of peace. We're in a place of unity as a church. But can I tell you, we better be ready because Satan wants to come in and divide. Whenever things are going well, whenever people are coming to faith in Christ and, and, and a church is growing and expanding, the enemy doesn't like that. Darkness doesn't like that. So we have to be ready. There, there will be things you don't like. There will be things I'll say that you don't like. You'll have disagreements. I probably said some things this morning that you don't like. We have to learn, is this an essential? Is this a tradition? Is this an opinion? Do I have the guts to go to this person and actually talk to them about it? Or am I going to hide behind social media? Am I going to tell everybody else and commit the sin of gossip? Am I going to go to the person who offended me? Go to the person who hurt me? You might find out that they had no clue. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I didn't mean that's not at all how I meant that. Will you forgive me? As long as we stay in our corner... We allow the enemy a foothold and the root of bitterness takes off. And bitterness is a nasty, nasty thing. Don't let it fester. I want to go back to a verse that I read earlier and we're, we're getting ready to, we're going to close with uh, dedicating several of our children. 
Before we dedicate them, I want to read this verse. This is from verse 11 where Peter was talking. We'll put this up on the screen. Peter said in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 11, Peter said, we believe that we are all saved the same way. I love that. Regardless of what tradition you're from in this room, we have Lutherans, you know, people who grew up Lutheran. We have people in this room that are practicing Catholics. We have Baptists. We have Pentecostals. We have, uh, I don't mean to offend you if I'm not calling out your tradition. Non-denominational, whatever it is, all right? But here's a cool thing. Peter says, we believe that we are all saved the same way. How, how are we, what does that mean? We're all rescued from our sin the same exact way. We're all saved from hell the same exact way. Well, how, how is that? What is that? It's not church membership. It's not church attendance. It's not giving. By the way, we encourage you to give. <laughs> Love it when you do. But it's not giving money, right? None of those things. That's not, that's not how we're saved. Look, this is so huge. Yeah, we have it up here. We believe we're all saved the same way. How is it? Let's say this last line together. By the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. If you're in this room and you're confused and you don't know, how, how does salvation work? How can I know that when I die I'm going to heaven? How can I know that God's favor and blessing is on my life? It's a very simple message, but it's not easy because the enemy wants to fight it so hard. But really it's all about receiving the grace of Jesus that when he died on the cross... He took upon himself your sin and your punishment. And it's not complicated. In fact, sometimes it seems so simple that we walk right over it. That we receive his grace. We say, Jesus, I've, I've sinned. I'm broken. I'm helpless. I need you. Come into my life. Rescue me. Save me through your grace. Forgive me of my sins. Empower me to live for you, to walk after you, to follow you, to be your apprentice. Empower me, and he will. And it's a story of so many people in this room. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to call you forward. We believe baptism is where we publicly confess what God has done inside of us. But maybe you're here this morning. You say, Ken, I've, I've never, I've been a good person. I've done good things in my life, but I've never I guess I've never come to the place of humility. I've never come to the place of, of admitting that I need Jesus myself. I need his lordship. I need his forgiveness. I need him to do in me what I can't do for myself. Ken, would you, would you pray with me this morning? I, I want to follow Jesus. I recognize it's not about a denomination. It's not about a church membership. I want to I follow Jesus. Would you pray for me? If that's you, again, we're not going to point you out. We're not going to embarrass you in any way, but... Would you just raise your hand so that I could pray with you this morning if, if that's your heart this morning? Anybody at all? Yeah. After you've raised your hand, you can lower it. Anybody else? Yeah. Father, I thank you. You, you see. God, I pray right now under their breath that they would just Acknowledge, God, I've, I've sinned against you. Thank you for sending Jesus. I believe Jesus is your son, came to earth to die for me. I believe he was risen from the dead, proving his authority in my life, his power to save me, to rescue me, forgive me of my sins. 
be my master, be my leader.